Hi, my name is Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. And you're listening to Wine, the long and the short of it. In proud partnership with Give Wine a Future. How well do you know your wines? From the simple to the complex, from acidity to Symphondel. Welcome to Wine, the long and the short of it. My name is Antonia Dominguez, the long. And my name is Linda Coogan, the short. Between us, we have over 30 years collective experience in wine buying, wine retail and wine education. Every week we discuss a topic, product or trend from the world of wine. So Linda, this episode is all about the wine dynasties of the wine industry, families with a long tradition in winemaking and wine production. And you were doing some sneaky interviewing while I was away recently. I did indeed. And I happily had the pleasure of um, interviewing Jean Trimbach from Alsace. And it was an unbelievable interview. And he was so open and really gave me an awful lot of his time. And I was very, very delighted to be have that privilege to chat to him. Uh, because Trimbach are, they're really, I mean, they're synonymous with Alsace. I love the fact that there are two families two sort of wine families from Alsace, you know, and they're kind of rivals, but they're also <laughs> complement each other Absolutely, in a way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So we have Trimback and we have Hugel. And I don't know, did John talk about Hugel or rivalry no, or anything no, like that? No, we didn't no. talk about that. It was all about, you know, their wines, their tradition and, and how they're dealing with, I suppose, um, Alsace wouldn't be the most popular region. Yeah. Uh, and again, we talked about all of that. Okay, so we're going to listen to that interview now in a second. Do you want to do a little intro as to the, the Trimback family, their winery? No, we get into all of that. <laughs> okay, episode. fair so enough. There you go. You don't want to, I don't want to bore people. Okay, so let's roll it there, Roisin. <laughs> as we all know, Alsace is a northeast part of France. We are bordering uh, Germany on the east and Switzerland on the south. And yes, uh, the Vosges mountains are protecting us. They will run south to north and the mountains are protecting us from all the rain and the wind coming from the west. Now, having said that, uh, we we are talking about a microclimate, but, um, well, lately, I have to uh, be honest and I have to say that sometimes we uh, we would expect a little bit more rain as well. But it seems that the vineyards adapt better and better to the heat wave we had, uh, say, in the last couple of years. And uh, we noticed that, we definitely noticed that with vintage 2015. Now, for the terroir, Alsace is definitely unique because in Alsace we have a granitic soil, we have slate, we have limestone, we have marl. We have sandstone, you name it. And if ever you dream about one terroir tonight, mm-hmm. be reassured that definitely we have it in Alsace. And at the same time, it makes Alsace super interesting, but it makes Alsace very complex. Not only complex for all the top sommeliers of the world, mm-hmm. but complex to uh, the... Uh, the, 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 say the customers, the people who are not into the trade, but who are just uh, willing to enjoy a good bottle of wine tonight. Alsace is complex, yes, but this is the magic of our region, the complexity of the soil and the complexity of uh, the um, 
the climate. My background, I suppose, in, in wine is to do with um, off-trade, working in an independent wine shop for over 10 years. And, you know, it was broken down into country and region and Alsace. Trimback wines were always focal point in the area. And again, they always had the single varietal, which was helpful to consumers to see this is a Riesling, this is a Pinot Gris, this is a you know, Gewürztraminer. So that's fantastic for consumers to understand your French wines from Alsace a little bit better. Also in the fine wine cellar, where some of your amazing, amazing fine wines, Grand Cru wines as well. But I suppose with the changes in wine and consumer habits and, you know, what people are drinking nowadays, how has Trimback managed to, you know, for such a traditional house and, you know, is it, 13 generations of family in Alsace. How have you maintained the family name in all of the on and off trade places of the world? Never mind Ireland, but just how have you maintained? Is, is there a secret to your, to your special recipe here? Or? Well, I guess um, quality. Yeah. Quality, 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 and uh, quality prevails always. And uh, our father, uh, my brother Pierre now, the, no the next generation, represented Julian. by Julien. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way out to make sure that there will be a beautiful future for uh, our family and for the Trimbach name. We are not running after volume, not at all. Uh, I think uh, that... Uh, we produce what we produce and we are very happy at the uh, volume we are producing. We don't want to do more, but um, it has to be uh, of top, top quality. And this is the reason why we purchased quite a few vineyards lately, top quality vineyards, including Grand Cru vineyards, but not just Grand Cru vineyards, vineyards which are old or vineyards which are growing on top soils, all Alsace cannot be Grand Cru. Grand Cru is, is only 4 to 5% of Alsace total surface. But beside those 4 or 5%, we have 96, or, or sorry, 95 or 96% of good quality vineyards, uh, which are producing great wine as well. So we purchased quite a, quite a bit of vineyards. And as I said before, we are running now 63 hectares of top quality vineyards. Therefore, top quality grapes. Quality happens in the vineyards. You will never make quality in the cellar if you don't have it in the vineyards. So this is number one. And number two is, as I said before, education. We need to uh, travel. And uh, my uncle Hubert was traveling, you know, when the winery was run by our father Bernard and our uncle Hubert. So Hubert was like in the dining room and my father was like the chef in the restaurant. Nowadays, my brother Pierre is the chef and I'm in the dining room with the next generation. But... Um, well, we have to go out and meet sommeliers, meet journalists, meet collectors, meet people who love wine. And there are many people who love wine, but sometimes they don't know what they like or they don't know what they love or they just don't know Alsace yeah. or therefore Trimbach. So this is our job. We need to meet these people and these people will be the 
the dear ambassadors mm -hmm. and we call them the Trimbassadors. <laughs> they will be the Trimbassadors for Trimbach all over the world. So Riesling would be the, the highest volume of wines that you would produce. And what would be your favorite pairing for a Trimbach Riesling? and food just right now on the spot if we were to be given something after our big lunch fish, and not fish, fish. Okay. I mean wonderful hake we had yeah. with a beautiful uh, homardine sauce it yeah. was impeccable yeah. yes Riesling is what we produce most Riesling in Alsace is 22% for Trimbach if I take all the Riesling we produce so we have the classic the reserve the Vieilleville the Frédéric Emile the Grand Cru the Clos saint <laughs> if I add them um, Riesling for Trimbach is over 55% of what we produce. Wow. So yes, um, definitely Riesling is our passion. Riesling is probably in my blood, but uh, Riesling with fish, Riesling with noble fish, Riesling with turbo, Riesling with uh, Homa, Riesling with Dovesol. I mean, and don't forget that in Alsace we eat quite a bit of meat, but we do not, uh, maybe nowadays, but in the old days, meat was like pork first and poultry second. Okay. So with pork and poultry, Riesling works very well. And definitely a beautiful piece of pork or a beautiful chicken or goose or whatever with Riesling is heaven. In the on-trade, so restaurants and that, so we'd find an awful lot of your wines would be in restaurants and bars, and I suppose um, a smaller quantity would be sold through off-licenses. Um, so I suppose your wines, I think, are in not one or two, but I think over 28 three-star Michelin restaurants in France. Is that correct? Well, it depends because, as you know, the Michelin guide is coming it every changes, year. Yeah, it yeah, changes, but let's say I, 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 I would suspect 20. 25, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. is that all? Is that all? Yes. <laughs> like, I mean, that's some accolade, is it not? I mean... Be, because it's it's a good uh, sort of, um, how would I say, recognition of the chef, uh, acknowledgement of the chef and the sommelier. First, they tell us we love your wine, we love your style, and the top chef and the top sommelier talk about the Trimbach style, which is down to freshness, to fruitiness, to purity, to intensity, to energy, to vibrancy, to, I mean, crystal clear wines. So they love the wine, but at the same time, they tell us that uh, our wines pair very well with their food. So we, we cannot be happier than that. And on top of that, once in a while, we have to pay them a visit. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be very happy to have you over for a treat. Due to global warming, do you think that there is going to be a shift or change? Or are you permitted to change any grapes that you're allowed to plant in Alsace? Um, or do you think that there's any major obstacles that you're facing in uh, northern France with global warming and changes in the vineyards? I mean, uh, well, global warming, uh, unfortunately, is not just uh, over uh, northern France. It's all over France and all over Europe and even, unfortunately, more than that. But we could grow, I mean, without being an AOP, mm -hmm. Alsace uh, origin protégé. We could uh, grow uh, Syrah, we could grow Gamay, we could grow... Uh, but as I said, I think that uh, vineyards adapt better and better. Um, grapes adapt better and better and probably even better than human beings. And uh, so there is no rush so far to 
uh, jump into a, say another vegan another no we have to still see how the vineyards adapt and what we can do but at a very slow pace because we are uh, thinking for the future we are not just thinking for the next generation but maybe for the 14th generation as well so we need to see what can be done what we are doing already now just one little thing maybe just increasing the yields again because if you increase the yields maybe your potential alcohol will drop as well so uh, not just you know uh, in the old days everybody was running about the uh, maximum potential alcohol this time is over we just need to find you know, the, just the perfect balance and definitely probably even peak earlier than we are peaking now Okay, balance is the key today because over lunch we just enjoyed the most perfect balance of food and wine and everything was a treat. And, uh, you know, some of the alcohol levels, people, younger consumers, I've noticed a lot more will come to us and say, oh, can you recommend any low alcohol wines? And I understand they might be looking at that from a health focused uh, point of view. But in terms of balance, in terms of wine making, you know, it's moderation, I suppose, and quality over quantity that you would be, you know, um, trying to promote. Mm. Um, have you got any points about that? Uh, absolutely. And uh, it's funny because if you ask my brother Pierre, which are the three um, keys which uh, are important when it makes to uh, producing a great wine, mm -hmm. he will tell you the three. The number one is balance. Number two is balance. <laughs> and number three is balance. And he has been saying that for years. And uh, I guess our wines are known for that. They are very well balanced. Yeah. Balance between the acidity and balance between the alcohol. And then there is another sort of, uh, it's all about texture. It's all about mouthfeel. That's very important as well. And sometimes we, forgot, we forget about that. Mouthfeel and texture in the palate. I, I can still taste some of the wines from lunch and they're just incredible. Well, like the, uh, it's we, had the the 2000, is... we had the 2015 Clos Saint-Une, which is uh, quite atypical, atypical, because it's quite ripe and we have a little bit of uh, uh, residual sweetness. But what was more important was the balance of the wine. Mm -hmm. The wine was just impeccable. I said, yes, it carries the tattoo of the vintage, but this is how it is. And uh, uh, 2015 will be completely different from uh, the 10 previous vintages and probably uh, the five or uh, eight uh, following vintages. Um, I hope I got the, the stats correct now. Um, basically, the Close Saint John is going to be a 100-year Yes, um, vintage in 2019. In, in 19, and that's going to be released in 2024. 2025. 2025. So people have to start saving for a bottle of that now, I think, yeah? But it'd be well worth putting in their cellar. And tell me, how well, long because, will that keep? Because 2019 is a fabulous vintage for Riesling aficionados. And how long it will keep? Or if it doesn't make 20 years uh, I retire <laughs> I love it uh, you said earlier on as well not every Wednesday do I have close in tone do you not I have it every week 
<laughs> John, it's good been for a- <laughs> you. Good for you. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I hope our listeners have learned lots of insights and will take a lot of information away about the Trimback family. And cheers. Thank you so much. Thank Salut. you. <laughs> Merci. So that was. I hope everybody got some insights into Alsace and the Trimback family and the tradition and the innovation that they are bringing to the world of wine now. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. no, that was really interesting. And just to touch on um, other famous wine families, mm-hmm. Linda, who can we talk about? I mean, I have a few and you have a few. So look, I'll just go in there with the obvious Torres. And I think everybody knows them. They're on every... Uh, T-O-R-R-E-S, in case anyone didn't understand. What do you mean? Antonio's Torres. Spanish. You have to roll the oars. Go on, give it a go there, Linda. <laughs> Come on. I can't. It's like my, my tongue doesn't do that. Okay. Thor- <laughs> okay. Go on. Okay, we let Thor drop the hook. Thanks. So, I mean, they go back Thanks. to... <laughs> they go back to 1870. And, I mean, they're serious leaders in the wine industry in terms of sustainability, but we'll get to that in a minute. I mean, they've all sorts of, you know, um, major credits to their name in terms of you know, the amount of wineries they have, they, they cover lots of regions in Spain. So we're talking Penedes, Catalonia, they're going up now and up to the Pyrenees because of climate change issues. Um, they have wineries in Chile, Torres, Chile, and they have uh, wineries in California as well. And it's still family owned to this day. They were the first winery to install a new stainless steel in Spain, which sounds like a boring fact, but it's actually quite important in terms of modern winemaking. Um and now, you know, if they, well, now they're doing all sorts of innovative things in terms of tackling climate change. They're really spearheading that movement. Um, and they are responsible for, um, oh, what the hell is the name of it? Yes. The protocol, the Porto Protocol, you know, where we're setting uh, carbon dioxide emissions. They have com- committed to halving their CO2 emissions by 2030 and they're well on their way uh, to doing that. So Torres, I don't think they need much more of an introduction. Ah, they do. That's the one with the bull on the bottle. Everybody knows their yeah, brands. Yeah, they may, they may not. Sangre de Toro, the Viña Esmeralda, um, Celeste. And now the, no, these are wines coming from now. Rioja, Ribera del Duero, so Ibericos. Um, what else am I missing? That's the one with the red, Torres Iberico. Yes, yes. that's a lovely Rioja. Yeah, yeah. So they, I don't know how many regions they cover in Spain. So many, don't they? They have so many, like from entry level all the way up to really, really premium wines as well. Um, I've worked with the brand before hosting wine tasting events for them and things like that. Um, so it's really, really nice. So Torres, brilliant. I mean, real innovators, real leaders and still family owned is the really kind of fascinating part of the story since 1870. That's phenomenal. No, it's really, it's it's great, isn't it? Mm. Okay, tell us one of yours. So one of mine is probably uh, a champagne that people recognise, Tatanger or Tatanger. Tatanger. Do you like that? Yeah, very French. I've been practising that. Uh, yeah, my son started uh, secondary school, so he's learning French. So I know, I keep getting voice messages in French. <laughs> and you speak back in, in, in Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so basically Tatanger. Uh, uh, are a champagne house based in Rheim and um, founded in 1734. And it's one of the last family-owned and family-run Masons de Champagne. So, you know, all the other ones are owned by the big co-ops like LVMH owns Moët and Chandon. 
Yeah. Do you like or that? LVMH now for people who don't know. Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. The handbag and luxury brands. Uh, but again, they own Dom Perignon and Runar and all these other ones. So Tetinje is one of the yeah. last family run ones. It's unusual to have mm-hmm. a champagne house, like a Grand Marc champagne yeah. house, not being taken over by corporate. You know, and it's uh, the fourth play. generation now running it. So, uh-huh. you know, actually they did sell it um, to a private investor back in 2005, but it was repurchased by the family yeah. a year later. So I don't For know them. what went on there, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like fair play. And actually I was at a wine dinner around October last year and um, we kicked off with a champagne reception and it was so good, the the Tatanjay, because I always thought that, you know, it's a champagne that you see often discounted in places and mm-hmm. in Tesco and that. But um, it was really, really good. And they have a flag, flagship champagne, Comte de Champagne, which is 100% oh, yeah. champagne. It's actually, it's 100% Chardonnay. Oh. <laughs> 100% Chardonnay. I've tasted that. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah of course you have. It's exquisite. So the... That's what we're sipping on now, is it? Yeah. Uh, Tuesday night wine. <laughs> is that all today? Is I think it's Wednesday, is it? What Which? Today? It's Wednesday. Is what? It? Today. Today's Wednesday. Oh, Sorry, Wednesday night Tuesday wine. night. Sorry, champagne. Wednesday night wine. <laughs> um, Go yeah. on, your, your turn. Symington. Symington in Portugal. Um, I don't know if this is on many people's radars, but they are like a leading producer of premium port, but not alone that, like a heap of still wines from the Douro Valley. And now they're down in Alentejo as well. Um, a British Portuguese sort of um, heritage and uh, working in Portugal since the 19th century. So, yeah, now run by fourth, fifth generation um, and kind of owned by 10 family members Kind of makes right. me think of Gonzalez Bias as well down at Jerez. Sorry, I got the Jerez in. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Jerez, Gonzalez Bias goes back to something like 1834 and, and like it's still family owned. Okay, it's, it's owned by like about 100 family members. They're like the cousins and the cousins' cousins and the, <laughs> the cousins' kids. And you. I'm sure we all have a fraction there, some share ownership. Um, so yeah, Symington, they own... You know, brands like Graham's, Dow's, Wars. Support. A lot of Port, port, but also loads of still wines. You'll see Altano and all, you know, there's, there's, they've bought new vineyards in the, in the Alentejo region, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, Quinta de Fontesau, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, they own like 2,300 hectares of wow. vineyard land all over Portugal and also doing their bit for sustainability, B Corp certified. And we talked about B Corp before and in our um, certainly in our launch episode when we interviewed Connoisseur, um, who are also B Corp. It's basically the highest level you can achieve in terms of sustainability certification, rigorous standards in terms of social and environmental performance as well as transparency. So fair play to Symington. One to look out for, you know, there's plenty of their wines and ports um, and on again, the shelves. Just to, to look at the back of a bottle, you you see who it's made by quite often on Portuguese wines in particular, don't you? As in? On the back label of a bottle of wine. If you picked up a Portuguese wine, oh, yeah. It, yeah, it'll say something yeah, to yeah. family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it will. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Excellent. So who else have you got? Um, I have Joseph Druhan, um, Burgundy producer. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, fifth generation of grape growers and winemakers, uh, founded in 1880, just uh, 200, 200 years before I was born. No, 200. I can't even <laughs> count. 
Oh, I'll forget that. <laughs> but they are a member of, uh, Antonia, will you pronounce this for me? I think it's Latin or something. Yeah. The P. The Oh, um, the Venom. What are they? What is it again? It's it's Venom. No, it's P. Oh, sorry. It's Primum F. Familiae Vini. It's Latin. It means first families of wine and Torres, who I was talking about earlier, are oh, also one of, one of those. There's only 12 of them. Yes, there mm-hmm. are only 12 of them. And it's again, the 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 founding um, limited to 12 families that are, you know, renowned winemakers um, and they're part of this membership. So again, Joseph Truhan in Burgundy would be one of the members of this. Mm. And what's so special about that? It means that they're still family owned and, you know, it just so traditional and, and they really want to keep yeah. that going through generations and things like that. So what do you think to the consumer it means to be family owned versus like a corporate Interesting. Um, well, you see, the thing about that is, I think people, it depends on who's purchasing it and what it means to them, because a lot of wine consumers would be buying possibly following on from what their parents might have ha- had in the house and they buy the classics. Um, and, and that's important to them that they see, all right, I recognize this. It's reliable. It's been around for a long time. Like another one for me would be Gigal. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's a wine that would be from ent- entry level Coterone all the way up to their Lalas, which are mega money. Mm-hmm. But like I would see them as being a brand of family um, yeah. tradition and that you, you trust it, I yeah. suppose. And Do you know authenticity what I mean? maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And just kind of stuck with its roots and that they want to pass down and the kids are interested mm-hmm. in following on that journey. Do yeah. you know? And interestingly enough, most consumers would know looking at the shelves, which is still family owned, would you say versus corporate? Or do you think, the, for example, who looking at Torres on a supermarket shelf would know, that, would it's know no. that it's still family owned? But that's why I think we wanted to do this episode to show people that there are generations of families that continue tradition yeah. and want to keep going. I mean, um, you know, imagine I, I was reading about um, Alberto Zanato. Yeah, from Valpolicella, and he was saying that like he walked in at two years of old, he, two years of age, he walked the vineyards with his father. Like, oh I mean, that's you're brought up walking in vineyards. Yeah. That's part That'd of be- you, like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so how could you not want? Well, go off and do whatever you want, of course. But you know, where people want to, like, it's not an easy life. It's not an easy job. Yeah. Um, so yeah. fair play and you must have a passion for doing something like that because it's it's so risky like yeah. it's, it's they're farmers like you've just triggered something I was just thinking about Chateau Mantelena and we interviewed Beau Barrett mm-hmm. because I was thinking about um, what you just said because the, well certainly the movie it? well no him Beau Barrett himself son of Jim Barrett who started Chateau Mantelena out in Napa you remember Beau kind of said he wasn't really into the whole family wine business at the mm-hmm. time when he was growing up. He was into, you know, his girls partying. and his partying. <laughs> and um, he reluctantly stayed involved. And um, and the movie depict, depicts him as that as yeah. well. But it's amazing how it just gets in under your skin yeah. after a while. And, and there was a turning point. Yeah, but that expectation is also, you know, you wouldn't want to be a like a, a wrestler or something. <laughs> And have to be forced to, but again, to, another, to make wine. Another uh, guy that I went, a guy, uh, Chester Osborne, like his daughters are involved in the wine business now as well. They're taking on from him. And mm-hmm. like, it's just, 
it has to be something that's ignited in you that you're passionate about wanting to continue that. Mm, I mean, I know I'm going to, I guess what I'm going to talk about. So I have... I ignited, I've reignited no. my love for cooking again. This is not the moment for the it Thermomix. Is. And the Thermomix is it. But Jamie, my son, is growing herbs and things like that. Now, I, I have green fingers. I have like black fingers. I would absolutely kill any plant that comes near me. Even flowers would die after two days. But he's got green, green fingers and I'm totally encouraging that. So it has to be, you know, deep sure rooted. It's herbs is grown out the back garden. <laughs> <laughs> I should hope so. <laughs> oh, so he's grown grapes, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what he's doing. Of course, <laughs> following in his in your footsteps, right? Um, okay, so Juan. Oh yeah, am I not finished? Okay, so they make. Oh, say they are part of the premium family. Vine. Okay, yeah. Let's pretend that that's what that is. Uh, yeah. So um, they own ninety three hectares of vineyards in Burgundy. They're also a negotiant. Uh-huh. So again, explaining what that is in Burgundy means that they um, you can rarely grow enough grapes for your own production. So you have to have buy to from buy growers. And once you're buying from growers, you're, you are labelled technically a negociant. So, yeah, and they have to do that because the land is all split into teeny tiny vineyards. And what you do is as a negociant in Burgundy, you have long lasting good relationships with wine growers and you grape get growers. your mm. wine growers, grape growers even. <laughs> Wine growers, they grow wine. <laughs> um, and the, you pay them, you know, a nice chunk of money to get your um, good quality grapes. So yeah. they will look after it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are really good at, um, you know, they're certified organic since 2009. And they also have um, vineyards in Oregon as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, so they're growing Pinot Oregon, Noir there. Love Pinot Noir from Oregon. So I think. And Pinot Gris, actually, which is the Pinot Grigio family of grapes. Same grape variety, but I just love Oregon. I was there and I visited vineyards there and the wines are just a real cool climate, but, you know, with, cool. with fruit concentration, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Not as savoury and earthy as Burgundy Pinot Noir can be, but yeah. Just gorgeous. Just oh, no, it, I you know, love. Silky and love. Yeah, gorgeous. So right. interesting how, um, you know, Tories have gone further afield and so have Drew. Yeah, as mm. the empire expands. Exactly. The family empire. Um, okay, one I want to mention, uh, the Perrin family from the Rhone region. So um, people may know Perrin, well, they may not know that Matthew Perrin is also co-owner of Chateau Miraval with, with Brad Pitt. So, oh. yeah, so Brad Pitt took... That, well, approached, I suppose, the Perrin family to say, can we do this joint venture together? Well, back when Angelina Jolie was in the picture, but she's been axed and it's now Brad and Matthew Perrin. And um, they are now making their Fleur de Miraval champagne together as well. I need to try that. Yeah. It's where only, are you going to get I it? I don't know. I don't know. Where you, well, yeah. Send us a little bottle, Brad, will you? Will you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but they're more famously known, perhaps, for being owners of Chateau Beaucastel, which is quite a well-known winery. It goes back to 1549, possibly the oldest estate because, well, now they cover different regions in Rome, but they have an estate in Chateauneuf-du-Pape and it's possibly the oldest estate in Chateauneuf-du-Pape. And it's run by the parents since um, 1909, five generations 
Um, yeah. And they're, what they're really well known for is sort of natural winemaking or low intervention winemaking, unfiltered wines and kind of minimal use of sulfur dioxide. And that has been a sort of a point of controversy for mm-hmm. critics and so on, because. I didn't know that they were low interven- intervention. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. one, yeah. Well, yeah. Unfiltered. They they go very low on sulfur dioxide. So they have been accused or their wines have been accused of being very bretty. Yeah. Well, okay. Controversial. What's Brett? Okay. So, so Brett. We actually did cover this. Yeah. It's a strain of yeast. So, 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 yeah. Sulfur dioxide is used as an antioxidant and an antimicrobial in winemaking. And there is sulfur dioxide in every, you know, in the vineyard naturally occurring on the, on the vines. And then there's, you know, we low doses used in the vineyard. And that's across the board. Even natural wines have some level of, sulfur dioxide. Um, but if, yeah, but when you do that, you run the risk, especially when you're not filtering as as they do in Chateau Beaucastel of um, the development of Brett yeast, which at low doses can be, can add kind of interesting complexity to a wine, like sort of spice or sort of bacon notes. And I, I, I know you're shaking your head. I can't. But Damned it, and I'm so in high, at high at high at high doses. It could be a little bit off-putting and kind of farmyardy in the extreme. Um, yeah. So, Bo Costell. I mean, what have they said? They they they. This is a quote from them on this. They say there are certainly some Brett in every natural wine because Brett is not a spoilage yeast. They say, but one as some might think, but one of the yeasts that exist in winemaking. Some grapes like Mouvedre are richer in Brett and we have a high percentage of these grapes in our vineyard. And they're kind of saying, of course, you, you can kill all natural yeasts then you can by using industrial sort of, you know, yeasts because they do a wild fermentation. So they just let the fermentation happen. Do your thing. Which is what? No, like let the wine do its thing. Yeah, let it, yeah. Um, and then they say... The grapes, uh, not the wine. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. You can use an industrial yeast. You can saturate the wine with SO2 and you can strongly filter that wine. But there will then be no remaining yeasts and no taste and no typicity is what they say. No taste. No taste of typicity. Right, okay. they, they so what's everyone else doing? They though? attribute all that natural process and the natural yeasts to lending character to the wine. And I just think, look, listen... Hats off to them. They kind of, stick, you know, they're purists in that sense, and they've never backed down, and they continue to kind of make wines in those style, in that style. And listen, it's it's stood the test of time. You know, go back to fifteen forty nine. They must be doing something right. I'm not saying I agree. Fair play. Uh, with with that approach to mm-hmm. all styles of wine, mm-hmm. and they don't do it with all styles of wine. That's interesting that they say about Mavedra because I suppose that would be the one grape for me that I'm really sensitive to picking up on. Right, okay. Um, kind of mousy, bretty, meat, meaty notes like yeah. that I just don't like. Yet, one of my favourite rosés of all time is the, yeah, de, the uh, domain tempeh bandol, which is Mavedra. Yeah. So, yeah. there you go. So, listen, we're running out of time. Uh, hold last... on, I have something yeah, that's really exciting. Tell okay, me. so yes, yeah. I'm wondering if this is going to be uh, a family that's going to continue to run uh-huh. and see the test of time. Okay, so... This vineyard was gifted to this person by her husband for her 34th birthday. Um, and it's vineyards in Napa Valley, but they keep it for their own personal use. So I wonder if um, the family are going to continue growing it for their personal use or become mainstream. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, I'm not. I don't think you do. 
Oh, well, not, not like the Coppola's or anything, no, because they became... David commercial. and Victoria. Beckham? Uh, yeah. When did they buy? Uh, he bought it for her for her 34th birthday in 2008. Vineyards in Napa Valley. And they kept it for themselves, for their own purpose. Okay. Oh, okay. do you know who else does that? No. I think you were talking about this guy, um, Gino Di Campo. He makes oh his own God. wine in his house in Sardinia and it's total, he's rubbish. Remember, and he goes, he goes, no, because, he, you know, when the three of them oh, went, the funniest went, program oh, so ever. Funny. Gordon Ramsay and your man, the French guy, and, the, and he invites them to his house oh, to taste the wine and they can't, they can't even stomach it. They're spitting it out. <laughs> no, did you see it? Absolutely I have brilliant. It, but we should actually do a live, watch that live yeah. and get our listeners to join in and do a Zoom and that. That'd be hilarious, wouldn't it? No. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Um, look, we, we didn't touch on all of them. There's more. They're like... Oh, I've one more. I've one more. Okay. Sorry. Can um, I just name the ones I was... Go- okay, like, go I'm on, not go going on. to go into detail, but Vegas Sicilia is still family owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Domain de Baron Rothschild is still family owned or Rothschild. Yeah, yes. uh, Schloss Volrads uh, in, in Germany and Cordenu, um, which is oh, a famous cabinet producer. That. Oh, yeah. They go back to 1551. So, yeah. So there are still a lot of authentic family owned and you know quite big because we haven't even talked about the boutique wineries and medium sized wineries that are family owned and there are thousands of those I mean I've said it before the wine industry is one of the most fragmented wine Mm. industry thankfully it's not all about a bunch of corporates not knocking corporates because if it wasn't for big brands you know a lot of wines wouldn't be accessible to the masses especially in Ireland like we're lucky that we have so many wines Mm -hmm. available to us Uh, so Antinori Antinori yeah uh, they would just be like amazing I love their wines from from, well Tuscany in general but they're going back to 1385 oh wow 26 generations amazing that mental and a final one that's in the can you name group. some of their wines for people who, who are not uh, familiar Pepeo, with Pepeola, Pepeoli, um, Chianti, yeah. And um, what's the other one that I love? We'll pop it in the notes. Yeah, I don't Can't know. You're looking offhand. at me and like, yeah, I should be reading you. your mind. I don't know, actually. Like a deer in the headlights here. Yeah. Um, the other one I wanted to mention was Paul Roger, one of my favourite champagnes. Oh, stuff His family owned. Didn't yeah. know that. I know. And uh, yeah, Brilliant. I adored that champagne. Just Great. by the way. Now, food and wine pairing of the week. What did you have? This week, I had a Cote de Mm-hmm. Gigal. Ah, uh, you're just saying that. No, I'm not we just saying that. I did. And I had it with a, a beef cheek bourguignon. Okay. And it was just easy, simple, uh, made in the Thermomix, of course. And uh, it was gorgeous. It's lovely. But I haven't had that wine for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. It would have been one that like it's gone up in price now. It's about 18 year old bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was when I worked in retail, like 14 when I started. Right. So it's crept up in price. But I think benchmark for these classic houses and these family owned wineries are all going to be between. 18 to 23. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's what Trimbach and Hugel and all those wines would be as well. And Tories as well for the, yeah. not the entry level ones. But it was delicious. It just, you know, really soft tannins, really easy to drink. And again, paired with the slow cooked beef cheeks. It was amazing. Lovely. Gorgeous. You. 
Yeah, well, I'm just gorgeous. gorgeous. I'm going to actually just, I'm just thinking about a brunch I had. This is not related to any of to do with a family This is nothing to do with a family. Ah, See, I tried to do my research. Well, I didn't. I'm sorry, but I had brunch with friends uh, last (laughs) Sunday and I went to, uh, (laughs) I went for, it was kind of an unusual, like a crispy Korean chicken kind of dish with salad and a citrus yogurt. It was kind of a weird one, but I picked a falangina from Italy. We were talking oh. about Italy recently mm-hmm. and I was surprised to see Falangina on the yeah. on the list. And to be honest, it was brilliant because the citrus yogurt kind of like really took over the dish. It was quite sharp and the Falangina with its kind of citrusy note, but it had texture for the and chicken. Could you get that the by the glass? Or did yeah. You? Oh. No, sorry. It wasn't by you the glass, it was by the bottle. Okay. Um, but again, I would have a Falangina with like any kind of a pasta that has like zesty lemon going through. So, so what kind of salad are you talking about? It's crispy Korean chicken. So it was like a mm-hmm. crispy chicken but with a sesame or oh, you know, nice. yeah, going yeah. on and then butterhead lettuce and I like it had like you know grilled vegetables and then like I don't know and then the citrus yogurt <laughs> so yeah tricky one to pair but I like the, the falangina so falangina is my shout out this week excellent yeah okay okay so on that note right to all Cheers the family the families of the world and watch this podcast go on for generations <laughs> <laughs> cheers cheers so what do you think? We do these podcasts because we want you, our listeners, to know what's going on in the world of wine and be informed when it comes to your wine buying decisions. We always love hearing from you. So let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Twitter. Sign up for our newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed to Wine, the long and the short of it yet, make sure you do that wherever you get your podcasts. Or reach out to us by email at ourwinepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Antonia Dominguez. And I'm Linda Coogan. Cheers. Cheers. You have been listening to Wine, the Long and the Short of It with me, Antonia Dominguez. And me, Linda Coogan, in proud partnership with Give Wine a Future.